most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of What Most People Think. Uh, just so you know, guys, I have to say there are leaked recordings of me saying something about people who unsubscribe from my podcast. Look, what I said was, if it, people are unsubscribing from my podcast, let the bodies pile high in their thousands. I would just like to say, for the record, that I did not say this. What I said was, I hope that they... They are eaten by rabid dogs. Okay, just to clear that up, just to clear that up. Uh, how's your week been? How has your week been? Mine has been good. I watched football on Sunday, the Carabao Cup final, which is almost like a metaphor for bad football, right? But we spoke last week about the effect of the lack of fans on the level of interest in the game, and there were fans there, man. And simply having fans there made it mildly interesting it was like oh there's a bit of jeopardy back and I suddenly realized that the difference between doing uh football in stadiums without fans is a bit like doing comedy on zoom gigs versus real gigs you know like the zoom gigs have a value but you know there's something about the jeopardy of 500 people at the Ipswich Corn Exchange when you miss a six-yard sitter joke on Jeremy Corbyn that pressure to get that right has its value and uh, on that note there was a a VIP new material gig just this week. Just oh, I was last week. We had a good laugh. I was trying out stuff for the tour. I blame the parents, which is coming up this September. And looks, well, it's all going ahead. It is all going ahead because not least because I'm in small to medium sized venues, which they're kind of like cockroaches. They will withstand the apocalypse. On that note, talking about patrons, the people who keep the podcast weekly and ad free, crucially. OK, because I know that a lot of these brilliant podcasts, these these top ranking podcasts, um, they, have, they, they have some adverts on. That's their route. Mine is to keep it real, man. I'm just I'm like, I'm like, you know, taking it back to the pure original principles of podcasts. People go, Jeff, have, have you not had as many offers for adverts as the other ones? No, no. The truth is I do get approached periodically by podcast platforms and advertisers, but I don't really want them asking questions about the content of the podcast or who's on it. So we have a new VIP patron this week, Andrew Law. Uh, if you are a VIP patron, that is a guaranteed shout out at the very top of the show. Andrew Law. I'm trying to work out what that name sounds like. I mean, one thing's for sure, you can have some uh, you can have some fun with that name, right? Mr. Law, I am Mr. Law. Andrew, before you're having sex, do you say to your partner, yeah, I'm just about to lay down the law. Yeah, we could do more of these if you like, but thank you very much um, for your support. Cuss count for last week with the episode with Dominic Frisbee. 23 fuckings, five shits, two fucked, two fucked and two cunt. Um, God, cunt sounds worse without the plural, doesn't it? Um, that's 0.64 swears a minute, and I slipped in two carry-on innuendos. Uh, but Dominic, now, at the beginning of the podcast, if you haven't listened to it, firstly, you've got to listen to it. His stuff about uh, national cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, people say, oh, jaw-dropping, blew my mind, genuinely blew my mind, so do listen to that. But we discussed that Dom had a very slow swear count at the beginning of the show and whether or not he would either go to be a, at the virtuous end or at the rock and roll end of the table. Well, he's gone for rock and roll, 13 swears, which puts Dominic Frisbee in the top 10, just his 10th, with an average swear now, 5.66. And if he comes on the next time and just says cunt repeatedly for 60 minutes, he could be top. Uh, we do have a guest this week. We have a guest, Athena Kablenu. Now, I've been aware of Athena for a while. Very funny comic. She's just done uh, a Radio 4 show on cancel culture. And it's fair to say that Athena is one of my guests who's coming from a different political angle. But, you know, she is genuinely left-wing rather than left-wing for telly. And she's into social justice issues, but she comes at it... As, as trying to put across an argument and be funny rather than, you know, some of the preaching that can happen on that side of comedy. So we had a chat and it was a great chat. And I was really on a, you know, I wanted, she said, I'm going to have my kid around my baby. And I was like, let's do the chat and stuff. And, and you might hear uh, in the interview that she was sort of wrangling a five month old child while saying all this very interesting stuff about cancel culture and stuff that a lot of people on the left wing could do with listening to. So that's coming up later. But before that, we'll be talking about the Boris Slees accusation, the accusations of this comment that Boris made about let the bodies par high in their thousands and also uh, the renovation 
of his flat. We'll be getting into that. And we've got an interesting letter. Just one letter this week. Uh, by the way, if anything that I've said in this podcast, all my guests say you want to come back on and discuss further, uh, what most people think UK at gmail.com. I check the emails relatively often, whereas Patreons, I will see all of those messages. So if you're a Patreon, this is just... Oh, you've been on the whiskey this morning, Jeff. Yeah, well, you know, you got to support the economy, ain't you? Um, but yeah, I will see those. So if you want to pick up on anything, do contact me. And we will have one letter this week, but one letter alone. And it's an interesting one because me and Don were talking about who none of us ever knew people that had been on a YouGov panel for surveys. And since then, a few people have contacted me. And one person in particular that I think is another jaw-dropping, mind-blowing. But it's a good insight into how YouGov panels are comprised and why perhaps maybe they reflect certain opinions. So do hang on for that at the end of the show. As ever, we've got to do a thank you and a fuck you. Thank you this week to Gulliver's Land in Milton Keynes. And I would say this isn't an advert. I'm not smart enough to get kicked back for this sort of thing. But it is, uh, it's a theme park, but it must be said, it's sort of in the lower lower mid-range of, <laughs> of the theme park. Look, it ain't no Alton Towers, put it that way. It's not no fucking Legoland. It's Gulliver's Land in Milton Keynes. Like most things in Milton Keynes, kind of functional. Do you know what I mean? They, they have to have one of everything in Milton Keynes. They've said, well, we need a theme park. And it's going to be Gulliver's Land. I don't really know what the theme was or how they kind of delivered on it. The Gulliver's Land, there wasn't any giant people or small people. It was, to be honest, they just seem to have gone for a random hotspot of uh, of other theme parks. And they also had inexplicably uh, young women like who worked there walking around dressed up as cowgirls, which, you know, not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but they were talking in American accents. And I don't know about you, I've always found it... Really amusing when, when grown-ups do pretend to be American and do it with a kind of rubbish accent. You'd go, yeah, hi, how y'all doing out there in Gulliver's land? I thought, what the fuck has this got to do uh, with Gulliver? Uh, the fuck you also comes from Gulliver's land. And it's women in mid, late middle age working in retail and or service sector. Okay, I don't like their attitude. I do not like their attitude. They're not great at service, are they? Because... I think the thing is, right, I think their attitude is very much like, you're lucky I'm serving you. Could you just wait, please, sir? Thank you. They've got a slightly shitty tone about them, haven't they? The same sort of women that work in doctor's surgeries. Maybe they've got some sort of WhatsApp group on how much you can fucking mug off the public and still keep your job. But I think the reason is, is they've been the matriarch in their family a while, right? As we all know, with matriarchs, what happens is you're born, you know, the baby's born, the, the husband's delighted, the wife knows how to look after it, they step back, they lose a lot of arguments... We spoke about this last week with uh, Dominic's theory, the, what was it? The Danegeld theory, Frisbee's Danegeld theory, that that eventually the price you pay for that is that she's bloated up on having won 468 consecutive arguments. So she's used to getting respect. She's the chief organiser of everything in the family. But you know what, Maggie? You're not my mum, okay? So when, when I step into the canteen at Gulliver's Land... I, I want you to serve me relatively quickly, okay? I don't want you to do that that woman of your generation thing of just taking excessively long to serve the person in front of me just because you like them. And then eventually, when you can deign to make eye contact with me, go, sorry for keeping you waiting, sir. And they're doing that deliberately. They're like, yeah, that's what I did, bitch. I kept you waiting, yeah? Sorry for keeping you waiting. But just so you know, I can keep you waiting. I could keep you waiting long. Longer if I liked. I heard you tutting, you privileged, entitled bastard. Like, we're in the cafe, right, in the canteen bit. And I was looking up at the menu that was hanging down from the ceiling overhead. And the woman said to me, she said, don't look up there. We're not serving any of that. And I was like, oh, right. Sorry for looking at a menu, Maggie. You know, the thing with Maggie, right? Maggie didn't want to come back to work, yeah? She got it in her head. She was riding that furlough like a fucking surfer. That's what... <laughs> she was loving the idea of a third wave. And then she, when they said, oh, Maggie, by the way, we're reopening, she was disgusted. Well, you can't reopen. You can't reopen. I haven't had my jabs. She lied. She had had her jabs. Classic Maggie. Look, <laughs> fuck Maggie, okay, is, is the general <laughs> overriding theme. Okay, just before we chat to Athena, let's have a quick catch up on the recent political news regarding the Tories and their sleaze. <laughs> A quick catch up as ever, right? Labour was struggling to get anything stick. There was all this sort of corruption, cronyism stuff from later to Matt Hancock 
and given anyone that he knew a multi-billion pound contract. Which, as I've said with Matt Hancock, makes me think two things. One, he shouldn't be doing that. Two, I wish he was my mate. You know, that's one of my biggest regrets in life. If, if they ever remade Back to the Future, it would be me getting in a time machine and just befriending Matt Hancock in primary school. That's what, <laughs> instead of taking an almanac back, I'd just be Matt's new best bud. But anyway, no one gave that much of a fuck about that. Uh, and then, you know, because we haven't got space. That's the point, isn't it? We haven't got space in our lives. You know, is it, a lot of it, is it COVID? Okay, is it a third wave? Then, frankly, I don't give a shit. I'm just kind of enjoying the fact that I can, you know, have a bacon fucking sandwich at a cafe, even though I'm sitting outside. That's what my life's about. And then the Cameron story stuck a bit more in people's minds, but I think it played more into the idea of who he was necessarily than who the party are. And then there was these leaks, right? There was a problem with leaking in the government last year, and Boris's office seemed to have, according to Politics for All website, fingered Dom for some leaks. That is not the right word to use. That makes it sound like a 90s sexual encounter, you know, where they were down the park smoking Bensons and drinking 2020s and, well, eventually a finger went somewhere. But Cummins, he isn't having that. It's classic Dom, he's not going to have that. He comes back with this allegation, and it's a big one, that Boris said that uh, when he lost the argument about going into a second lockdown in November, he said, let the bodies pile high in their thousands. Now, this is an allegation at this point. It appears to have some corroboration, but no one's willing to go on the record. So, of course, the left took this allegation as fact. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's rolling onwards, this one. It's rolling on. I do think that this fight with Boris and Dom is going to go on, but it's not going to be a good fight, is it? It's good. You know, like when there's a pub, a fight in a pub car park, you go outside, hopes are high, and then after 10 minutes of seeing two blokes fucking basically wrestling each other in an almost sexual way, you sort of stop the fight for aesthetic reasons mainly. But I don't care. As I've said many times, I get a lot of people online go, oh, your bloke's in trouble. I don't give a fuck about Boris stays or goes. Okay, I'm not I'm not specifically a fan of the man. It was uh, an alignment of convenience at the last election. Like loads of people held their nose and voted Labour. I held my nose and voted for the Tories to an extent, right? There's some things about Boris. Not, I don't dislike everything, but certainly the, his brand of politics and the way he approaches things is not something that really appeals massively to me, right? But I think it is, having said that, very plausible that he said this or something like this. But it was. And I think a lot of the public are going to see this in the context of him losing an argument and acting like a massive baby, right? He'd lost the argument and we were going in a lockdown. He's like, well, let the bodies pile high in their thousands, which is a metaphor for fuck you lot, all right? Because evidently, the problem is, is that we did go into a lockdown. This is one of the problems for this argument against him. We then went into a further lockdown in January, which was one of the most draconian and long-running in Western Europe. And since then, there's been a roadmap out of COVID, which a lot of people seem to like, and a successful vaccine rollout. So a lot of people are balancing these things out. Now, I've seen a lot of people going, well, the, the Tories will probably still be ahead of their polls, which means that for the 44% of people that vote Conservative are awful. Or is it that they just have other priorities in their life? This is the classic modern scandal, isn't it? It's a Twitter scandal. And it might get bigger than this, but for now, it is more of a social media thing because it's something he said rather than something that he did, you know? And I do think, you know, in the course of an average week, I say enough bad shit to never be on telly again and also for various family members to disown me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's because it's stuff you say. You know, you watch an advert, someone pisses you off or... You see your sort of third advert for a charity in a break. You say something fucking awful, right? You're probably, probably all of you are going, oh, no, Jeff, never, never, ever do that. But then you get this hilarious irony building up where the sworn enemies of Cummins are now the character witnesses for the same bloke. <laughs> the people that just thought that all he spoke was utter untruthful shit and now saying, well, you want to listen to that guy, Cummins? <laughs> no, they must have to shower. You know, like uh, in that film, The Crying Game. Where the bloke, anyway, but that would probably be transphobic now. But uh, it was a famous scene for somebody realizing that they'd uh, made an alliance, shall we say, that they weren't so fond of on reflection. And it is weird. It is weird the way that people's anger towards Boris Johnson makes them deranged a bit. You know, otherwise smart people. And we know why, don't we? Because he's made mugs of them. These are the people that like being right, that think that there's an objective version, an undisputable version of being. Right, some people even write books about it, right? He said vote leave wouldn't win Brexit. He helped them do that. They said that uh, he wouldn't be PM. 
he became prime minister. They said that he couldn't reopen the withdrawal agreement. He did that. They said that he couldn't get a trade deal within a year with the EU. He did that. They said they couldn't turn COVID around. And to a point, his government and the NHS have done that. But they can't. They keep going back to that world, don't they? They keep getting burnt. And it's like they're not over him. That's the problem, isn't it? When you have a breakup, you know, I'm not saying they're ever in a marriage with him, but they do sometimes come off like that person. Like, you know, they act like they're fine with it. Look, I'm over what happened with Boris. And then three glasses of Merlot and they're like, you know what? I'm not fucking done with you, you shitbag. And they've fired all their bullets, right? Have they used? They wonder why some of these stories, if they don't get cut through, right? Why is that? And it's because a lot of them have fired all their bullets in the lead up to this point. You have to ask, are Emily Maitlis, Lewis Goodall, Beth Rigby, are they objective in their reporting on Boris Johnson? What most people think. Um, however, having said that, lefties, if you're listening, lefties, there is hope. I think if it can be demonstrably proved that he that he did lie, like say, for example, and I don't doubt that classic Don will turn up with his laptop and his audio clips and his fucking JPEGs and his screenshots and his threads and his conversations, archives and all this stuff. If you can demonstrably pull apart someone's personality and character over a protracted time, there is a chance that this could take a gouge out of him. But what then? What then? What happens is you get someone who's less divisive in the culture war, right? You might not get somebody... This would be the irony, right? They'll go, we get rid of the fascist right wing, and Boris isn't really that right wing. And they'll go, well, you know, they might be happier with a Sunak or, I don't know, a Gove even. But then that those characters may be less toxic to people. Because be, bear in mind, Boris has plenty of enemies on the right and with sort of traditional conservatives. So you might get certain Lib Dems coming back to the fold. It might all kind of cancel itself out a little bit. So I think what most people think, you know, I understand why Labour Party are doing this. Of course they're going big on this. What the fuck else have they got to talk about, right? They're just trying to, do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're just trying to be heard. So I think that what most people think is that uh, there's every chance that Boris Johnson said something like this, but that things are said in the heat of the moment, that it's not even close to being the worst thing that he said or did, that we'll probably really judge how he's handled COVID across a two-year period, which is what all pandemics have been judged on historically, and that we've simply got bigger things in our lives to think about than this. Okay, we're going to start the chat with Athena Kablenu now. As I said earlier, uh, you will hear her son, who I will say is, the, again, is the, just the cutest baby. We'll discuss that uh, early in the show, which she works expertly around. So please settle in for the fantastic, funny and politically astute Athena Kablenu. Okay, welcome to What Most People Think, Athena Kablenu. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having you. And as I can see in vision here is your son, five months old, Ion, is in your arms as we speak. Yes, he's here and he's going to be quiet throughout the whole recording. Yeah, he's very advanced for his age. He does what I say already. You're going to be <laughs> quiet, aren't you? I mean, yeah. we were just discussing this off air before we came on. And I know you've got to say that everyone's baby's cute, but Ion is on a different level. Cute. Is he? Is he? Yeah, let, me, let me give you. The... Oh my god! I mean, like this is <laughs> this is not normally the thing that my punters expect from this podcast. Is me cooing over a baby? My god, that is a cute have, boy. Have I brought out your soft side? Well, I say this as as the owner of of one of the cutest sons that's ever walked the earth. You know, so we're, we we're, we're fellow. You know, we've got this kind of kinship here. We know what it's like to have a cute son. It's and it's a hardship. It's a hardship. You can't you can't leave the house without someone going. Oh, is that your baby? You know. Yeah. You get a, luckily, we can't take public transport too much because of the pandemic. But before, like when we were on the bus, it was like, oh, is that your baby? Is that your baby? Like, leave me alone. You know. So it's the hard. It's a hardship you endure when you've got gorgeous kids. It's a hardship. Is it is tough? But I I do take it incredibly egotistically. Like I think that is all me when I'm out. I'm like, yep, I'm <laughs> nodding. Like like it's just some sort of limb that's grown out of me that people. Are admiring, but well, as it happens, he is a technically a limb that's going out of me, so I get to say that you know, yes, I get I, to claim it. I However, think, your donation doesn't count. I think that you're right to assert that there is a slightly different level of effort that goes in, slightly from slightly. being <laughs> from, from being a mum. One thing that was a bit about being a dad is my son's five now. I do think sometimes I forget that as, as time goes on. You know, I, I think that you, 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 I don't think she's forgotten it, put it that way. <laughs> 
I um I listened to your show. Like one of the, I wanted to chat to you anyway, but I listened to your show on uh, Radio Four Cancel Culture, which I thought was a great show, and I'd advise anybody to go and listen to it. It's in great like fifteen minute episodes. Was that something that was conscious your end, or just happened, and you're you're glad that it happened? Um, yeah, it happened, and I'm glad that it happened. So they uh, they get what they gave me, and that's what I asked for because I wanted short, snappy episodes where I could just like make my point, get in quickly and get out. And I want them to be enjoyable. And let's face it, most comedy is enjoyable, like, when it's short. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no one likes yeah, it yeah. when a comedian is going on for too long. And you always want to, you want to, you want to, there's a rule like, you know, leave them wanting more. Yeah, know? I do think um, that. I think that there's, you know, we were saying just before, when a promoter says to you, because normally the standard club set length is 20 minutes. Yeah. When they go just 15s tonight, it's the happiest you will ever see a group of comedians. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? It's just like, and you just, you don't have to worry about stretching your material out or anything. It's like, yeah, I got 15. I can do 15. Off, you know, I can walk up my house and do 15. So that's, yeah, it's lovely. And when, with radio as well, because it's just, you know, it's it's not stand up. <laughs> have you, have you done it's not stand up I've got sort of sketch in there I've got monologue in there so yeah. it's even more snappier you know it's not just me talking 15 minutes there's like lots of different things going on so I really wanted I I really I do quite a lot of political stuff but I swear to god that I just want to entertain people like I really am well, just trying to make people laugh so this is this that is helps. one thing that, that really drew me to the show is that and a lot of people listen to this show and look I'm not saying like what my view is on this but they would view left-wing comedy or socially <laughs> socially conscious comedy as potentially um angry and, and preachy but you you're neither of th- those things and i think is that a conscious thing because it seems like and i and i'm i i hope that i share that which is i'm more interested in taking on the subject rather than making anybody change their mind yeah absolutely um and i would sort of expand that so anybody who's dogmatic and puts the point before the comedy tends to be a bit boring on yeah. wherever you are on, on the spectrum. So wh- wherever you are, whatever you believe in, if, you, if you're coming to the table with, I think this, and I want everyone to know what I think, then you're not going to be as funny who's come to the table as somebody who's come to the table thinking, I want to make people laugh. And this is just the particular sand pit that I play in, you know? Um, so um, I think that is a craft issue more than a political issue. A lot of people aren't as dedicated to the craft as they are to their message. You know, in in the script that you did for the show, I could tell that straight away when you got in, you're like, right, let's get some jokes out there, um, which I think was great because you know you were doing it without an audience as well, so a lot of it had to come from the performance. Yeah, I mean, the whole show changed because of COVID for the better, actually, because it kind of you know I put lots of I put way more sketches in there and uh, just punched. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it just punched everything up a bit, really, just because you don't have the laughter to confirm that something is funny. So you just try really hard to make sure. I hope this is. I hope this is funny. Um, but you're absolutely right. When you when you're a comedian, you come off of just doing comedy clubs. You don't. There's no. Um, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. You know. There's nowhere to hide at all. Um, and I think that makes you actually better at being a political comedian because I always say like it's really good to make people who disagree with you laugh. Laughter is a very yeah. universal thing. If something's fundamentally funny, it doesn't matter whether the the core of the joke is 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 oppositional to your beliefs. If it's funny, it's funny, um, and you're better able to do that if you're just good at your job. Like this is it's really yeah, basic. Yeah, it's the holy job. And, yeah, I mean, it's almost like a different sort of egotism for me. Is that perverse pleasure of going reluctant laughter? I call it. You know, and obviously <laughs> doing the early days of doing the Edinburgh Festival for me, that was a lot of what I was trying to do. You know, I spend an yeah. hour up there trying to make people laugh against their better judgment. And um, I, I think you did that. I think you did that in this show because there were there were some things where perhaps going into it, I might have had a more resistant position. But the way that you sell your idea and your viewpoint isn't preachy. So therefore, I absorbed it. I think it's it's not even about being preachy. I personally, it's probably found sounds like a silly thing today, but. I hope that when I've got an opinion on something, it's not just something I've sort of pulled out my ass. It's like come out of of considered and reasonable thought and internal and external debate. So if it's sometimes, and you can be preachy if what you're saying comes from a considerate place. I think what happens is when people are preachy and problematic or preachy, but they don't show their workings out or they're maybe condescending or they don't know where the other person is coming from. Something that I feel really strongly about is the fact that there is 
a certain amount of privilege in, in my life and where I come from in terms of my education and um, and my upbringing that, you know, has allowed me to do the work. You know, I have, you know, I, I was encouraged to go to university. Um, I was encouraged to read. Um, I then, when I was in my career, I did more degrees. And it's like, mm. how can I expect someone who hasn't had my exposure to things I've had to have the views that I have? You know, um, someone told me something really interesting the other day that the average reading age in this country is twelve. Okay, so yeah, isn't, isn't that what tabloid newspapers base their level of communication? Well, on? not just tabloid newspaper. Anyone that's got to communicate with anybody has mm. to make sure, like a twelve-year-old. So, like if you go to doctor, read, doctors and read leaflet, for example. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm if we're t- if I'm talking about critical race theory with someone, they don't understand it. That's not their fault. <laughs> Why would they understand it? It's really complicated, right? And I've I've spent many years, even decades, kind of immersing myself in a world that they have probably only been introduced to on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so because I I feel like I have to meet people where they're at, it probably that's probably why I'm able to maybe not come across as preachy or um, or be condescending or whatever because I know that there's a certain amount of of luck that has allowed me to be in the position I'm in. Uh, and if I want people to come with me, I have to meet them where they're, where they're at. Okay, hope you're enjoying the chat with Athena. Just got to hype a couple of things. But first up, we've got uh, two patrons to welcome in the £5 tier. We've got Alexander Thayen. Thayen? Alexander Thane. Thane! Uh, <laughs> do you know what I always say that when I go through, you know the town in Oxford called Tame, T-H-A-M-E. I always think of David Bowie going through in there, saying it like he said, fame. Tame! And we've got Alex Carr. I want to presume that Alex Carr is a girl, Alex. Yeah, because that was always, like, beguiling, wasn't it, when you were a kid, where you go, oh, she's a girl, but she's got a boy's name, but she's but she's pretty and she's got a boy's name. They always had that in those American 80s films, didn't they? Like, her name was Andy or something. Like, it was not in the Goonies, but, but Andy... It's really pretty. Fuck, this is doing my head in. Am I gay? Shit, I like I like a girl with a bloke's name. Does that mean I'm gay? Obviously it doesn't, but it's the 80s. and We're not quite so progressive or understanding about these issues yet. Obviously the book. Of course I'm going to be going on about the book all the time at the moment. All day, mate, all day. But it is out on May the 13th. I mention this partly because uh, Amazon are now doing a 20% discount to try and basically to try and kind of like bump it up ahead of uh, release. So that equates to two quid off, I think. Right, I think that that is no, it might even be three quid. So it's three quid off on Amazon. If you if you want a signed copy, Waterstones are knocking those out, fifteen ninety nine. If you can't get to a tour show, but here you go, the tour is happening. I blame the parents. Is he trying to fold all his hypes into one? I think I am. Uh, I will be signing and selling copies uh, on tour as well. There's also the Fane event coming up with I'll be interviewed by Romish Ranganathan, which if you go online and get the ticket to watch that, uh, I think basically it costs the same as the book. So you kind of get a bit of two for one, double bubble. Here he goes again. Wheeler dealer Norcott trying to sell his career out of the back of a fucking van. Tell you what I'll do for you this week, ladies. Ladies, I have got a book, a tour. Just, just generally with cancel culture do just as a i know this is a hard question but it's a general point of view do you think it exists does cancel culture exist? i mean it exists it's just not effective um of course Kat, the the idea that people are attempting to remove some people from public life or to remove their ability to speak or be heard is totally something that exists it's just not effective which is why I think we get it becomes quite sticky because when people say, oh, it, it does exist, and people say it doesn't exist, what we really mean to say is we try to cancel people all the time, but unfortunately it doesn't work. The only time it has worked, ironically, is when the people who, who would normally who would normally come out saying they hate cancer culture, they're actually quite good at cancelling people, which is what something I go to into my shows. So I talk about how we kind of... Um, how we cancel the continent, which is a little kind of skit about Africa. Um, you know, we, you know, we literally, when we don't like political leaders who are saying awful things, we would go and assassinate. Yes, if anyone's seen um, Judas and the Black Messiah, like they cancelled Fred Hampton. Like they literally shot him you know, 12 Lincoln times in the head. Got, they cancelled yeah, him. They cancelled him, I was going to swear right? there, so, but I'm conscious of your five-month-old son. <laughs> Oh, he's 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 good. He can't, he's he's just babbling at the moment. So he's not this might be me. the one thing um, that <laughs> listeners to this podcast will be aware how much I swear. They might have realised this is my this is my Achilles' <laughs> heel. I can't swear in front of the virgin ears of a child. 
<laughs> this is going to be my challenge now to get you to swear. Now, just going back to your point about cancer culture, it absolutely exists. It's been most effective when it's been um, when it's been practiced by the people who complain about it the most, which is ironic, really. Um, but there you go. I get, you know, there's definitely that irony that some of the most powerful people are sort of uncancellable. I mean, you mentioned people like uh, Dave Chappelle, J.K. Rowling. They've certainly had to yeah. face, face backlash, but but their their financial power. I mean, one one concrete example I could think of of cancel culture where it did actually happen was there's a guy, I think his name's Nick Buckley, who was a, a youth worker in Manchester. After the initial surge of Black Lives Matter last year, he, he had a particular issue with one of the Black Lives Matter groups and that was in the public domain and then certain colleagues basically got him fired and he had an MBE for his work literally he's a white guy but he worked mainly with young black uh, youths and he literally made their lives matter and he got cancelled is that from his job he got fired from his job is, is that the problem is, is that the powerless we rarely hear that story but you, you hear a lot of whining from people who are totally insulated that even if they did get cancelled could live their life happily forever this is exactly it. I think there were, I don't know that, I'm not familiar with that story and I'll definitely look, sort of do a bit of work on that because I've not heard of him, but there's definitely an issue with the fact that the people who are getting cancelled, the people who are really suffering because mm. of social media and, um, you know, hysteria, they're the ones that aren't getting defended. So, for example, if Lawrence Fox was to come out and talk about these people, I'd probably have more respect for him because Lawrence Fox has basically dined out on, on his notoriety, um, as does Toby Young and, and, you know, individuals like that. Whether, you know, whether what's happening to them is fair or unfair, there's, des- there's definitely some kind of, be- there's been some benefit to their, um, to their profiles. Oh, I mean, I would of- love to be, for somebody to attempt to cancel me, there's no doubt about that. I would love, <laughs> I would love to be edgy <laughs> enough that I could be, make me feel rock and roll. I, I, I had a bit of my YouTube clip demonetized the other day, and I was all ready to do one of those standard tweets about demonetize. And it turned out that it was literally, I, I just used some footage without the right to use it. That is not a sexy... Reason. Oh yeah, <laughs> copyright law. Co- copyright law. Yeah, that's not sexy. That's not sexy at all. But you, yeah. you're right. Like I, I don't talk about this too much in the show. I actually, actually got cut out in the end. But yeah, basically, cancel culture. You can get cancelled if you're a nobody, which is awful because these people tend to have their livelihoods kind of, kind of wrecked mm. and and ruined. And I think what happens is because cancel culture doesn't really work, people are like um they get a bit drunk with it when they realize they find someone they can cancel and they really can cancel them does yeah, that make sense yeah, yeah. so they're so like okay well, we them, yeah. it's bully it so we can't get rid of jk rowling or we can't get rid of lewis hamilton or we can't get rid of boris um but oh nick from manchester okay fine it's a human issue it's a it's a human psychological issue it's and it's almost and it's hypocrisy and we're all capable of hypocrisy if we start to move it away from it being a political position and start to move it towards it being a human position then we could really start to kind of unpick it a lot of it is we don't like to be told we're wrong um and so when we're being told we're right we think that this is good and when we're being told we're wrong we go no that's cancel culture the other thing as well is people are quite lazy. Okay, so we kind of know that we live in this world, and whatever our position is, we think there are things that sh- we think there are things that should be changed. You try to cancel him, trying to censor. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to cancel him with a dummy. Um, maybe so maybe that's, that's what we need for public figures sometimes. A big, you know? a big cancellation dummy. Just get that. I, I get, want, get, get, get that off. I do wonder sometimes, you know, when you get these older guys, like these, there's a certain kind of bloke where they've probably, they've come to Twitter while they're in their 60s. And you sort of wonder if their agents sometimes think, I wish there was a giant dummy that I could just put on their social media for a while. Because you see them going down this, you see like, this is what I find so weird is when you see like a Piers Morgan or a Lord Sugar, these are powerful, wealthy men that have done well in life. And then it's almost depressing where you think, my God, I would love to think that if I was that powerful in my life, that I just wouldn't give a shit about what Dave from Northampton thought. I'd be using my Twitter to sell sponsored ads. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I think they're just, they, they're drunk with the power. Like I said, they're mm. drunk with it. They, en- they enjoy the attention. Um, they're bored. They're bored. It gets wet. Whether you're in an ivory tower or whether you're in a shed, boredom is boredom. It feels mm. the same. I mean, you mentioned um, you mentioned hypocrisy, and um, I think you were brilliant at picking out those kind of. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I love: is those modern liberal hypocrites like <clears throat> Lewis Ham- Lewis Hamilton, who you know tweeted something fairly intolerant about who who gets to wear dresses, and then suddenly becomes the world's greatest ally to every community going. 
I mean, his his example is is an interesting one because he got you know he got sort of he got cancelled for that uh, quite kind of um, vigorously, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he apologised and had a learning moment and moved on. And what's interesting to me is who gets afforded those learning moments and progress and who doesn't. And it's like you mentioned earlier, like a guy, you no know, Nick from Manchester wasn't given that luxury, but Lewis Hamilton, the greatest Formula One driver that ever lived. Was, yeah. um, and it's. But do you we're think not it really, was a real? Sorry. Would you think it was a real learning moment, or is he just like sat down? You know, like these people have their crews around them and their teams, like Lewis. Okay, this is the way the wind's blowing. Do you, do you feel it was sincere with him? Honestly, I'll never know, and we will never yeah. know. I mean, was yeah. it sincere? He's been consistent. I mean, that happened about three or four years ago, right? He's been very consistent <laughs> since then. So he's kept. If it is a facade, it's a very fucking good facade. We should be cynical. We should be but cynical. About these, could these corporations yeah. who take stances, you know, we had Sainsbury's last year with their black-only space online for employees, and then it turns out that their executive boardroom was a white-only space. And you just wonder how much of it is arse covering. It, a lot of it is. I've no... Yeah, when corporations do things that are supposed to be positive gestures, I, that's a, just a perfect point. And it's a point that I make over and over again. Like, I don't really care about black people in supermarket adverts. You know, what I care about is what does your boardroom, is it is your boardroom diverse? Are mm. the black people in your organization able to um, ascend in the same way other people are? Not just black people, anyone, if you're black and disabled or if you're gay or if you come from another minority ethnic group, because believe it or not, it's not just black people who are minority ethnics in this country. There's Indians, there's yeah, East yeah. Asians uh, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I, I sort of, yeah, I always struggle with, with these um, performative gestures you know these adverts these black squares these you know i wasn't aware well, so of a black the, the 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 instagram when where in the immediate aftermath of black lives matter when a lot of sort of white liberal people in the public eye turned their instagram square black right yeah and I, i'm not sure why they did that i think it was to show solidarity or, or something um and it was a tuesday there's nothing, you know, on a, on a Tuesday, it's a not very significant day, is it? Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday's like... the straight up worst day of the week, right? I, I've had this theory for a while. Monday, you've still got the buzz of the weekend going on. You've got stuff to talk about that happen. Wednesday is hump day. If you can get over it, you're sliding on down. Thursday is a sort of party feel. Friday is the weekend. Tuesday, straight up worst day of the week. If we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and if we're talking about... Um... <laughs> sort of the way Europe and Europeans have interacted with people who are African or of African descent over the last 450 years and you've never really interacted with that kind of history before those kind of ideas there's a lot to get through okay yeah. a lot I can't even begin to tell you how much there is to get through from North America to South Africa to Colombia to Brazil to Haiti to Dominican Republic to Guadeloupe there's a lot to get through we're talking about political stuff social stuff economic stuff biological stuff um you know if you take the contraceptive pill you're taking something that was tested on the bodies of black women you know if you had a hysterectomy you have an operation that was pioneered through the testing of black women that's just a tiny fraction so turning your social media black is like what do you even know do you know how many bodies yeah, it wasn't just that some of them got got reading lists as well some, some of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got and reading lists are some of the hardest books you'll ever have to read. You yeah. know, like they, you know, so that's not the answer. Reading these academic books isn't the answer. The answer is just a lot of work that is going to take, and this was centuries in the making, and sadly it will be decades in the undoing, um, if not more centuries. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is um, what what you're saying far more articulately, like lots of lots of surface level gestures and not a lot of deep, real acknowledgement of the work that needs to be done and, and where 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 that work can start. Um, and that's always going to be a problem. And going back to cancel culture, that's why people do it. Because, oh, it's much easier to just say, this guy's a cunt. Oh, that's a bad word. It's no, 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 say, please. That's got you on the leaderboard. It's, <laughs> it's much easier to say, that guy's unpleasant, rather yeah. than, oh, I need to understand what positive action is and how it can posit positively impact my society. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's... That's really easy to just cancel someone. It's really hard to do the work. And that's why I like canceling people. It allows us to feel satisfied without having doing anything. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a problem. I do think sometimes on, on the left has been, you're certainly on the liberal left. So when it comes to voting in a certain way, it's an immediate demonisation of a large group of people. And you always think, well, it may be that that view of a certain amount of people in that group might even be true. But equally, publicly expressing that view continually in the same way that happened with Brexit. 
<laughs> with, uh, he's getting aggro now, isn't he? He's getting, I, bought he's our, getting... I bought our Brexit. That's the problem. Everyone... Yeah, why do you have to bring up Brexit with the baby around? Come on. <laughs> I've got to live with this kid. <laughs> Another thing I want to say really quickly about people kind of feel like liberalism and left-wing politics is the natural home of kind of sort of black and brown people. It's absolute garbage. Okay, our parents are right-wing. Okay, my dad comes my dad comes from Ghana. My mum comes from Guyana. These are right-wing countries. Okay, you mm. try and be gay in these countries. In fact, there's a big issue about being gay in Ghana at the moment. If you, if you need to go to school in Ghana, you've got to pay for it. Yeah, you know that's a very right, right, right thing. It's it is a case. It, it's not a kind. There's no welfare. There is a welfare state. We have an NHS, but it's not like the NHS we've got here. You know, yeah. it's basically if you've got money, you have a nice life. If you don't have any money, you have a terrible life. This is a very conservative thing. The idea that and like a very individualistic, like you get what you deserve, sort of thing. You get what you deserve if you're poor, you're off. If you're rich, you deserve it. No one in these countries pays tax. Okay, most of the time people are earning kind of cash in hand or they're working in an informal economy. They're not paying taxes, <laughs> you know. Sounds so good. Um, so how? <laughs> what's the immigration like there? So I like I like the sound of this place. Yeah, uh, you, you are welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really important point that you make. I've noticed this recently online with this discussion around the idea that the left owns certain ethnicities. I, I just on a on a practical level, that seems such a dangerous time because we've got a really vibrant marketplace for ideas, right? People are pitching for political constituencies, left, right and centre. So complacency at this point in time seems like, frankly, dangerous. I mean, you look in the states where Trump in increased his vote among uh, black uh, men and Hispanics generally, and you think, well, I wonder how much of that is you can't tell people you can't believe this or you can't vote for that because recent history suggests they might just do it. It's really interesting. I mean, those 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 things you talk about are, were real. They're quite they were quite small percentage rises, but they they were still very real. I think um, I think in this country the danger is that the left is going to lose voters who aren't white due to not being able to deal with racism within their parties. So it's sort of quite obviously anti-Semitism issue in Labour is sort of quite well documented. That they're sort of anti-black issues and less well documented, but people who are black and in the Labour and supporters of Labour uh, will, will be aware of it. The way people like Diane Abbott and Clive Lewis have been tweet, treat, treated, and also just the reality of the fact that if you are if you are a politician and you're not white and you want to achieve something, you're probably better off than the Conservatives. You know, Labour were in power for how many years? Three, three terms. How many mm. black and brown people do they have then in their cabinet? I mean, mm. Sarja Javid was Home Secretary. Um, Pretty Patel was Home Secretary. Now, this is a very, these are very powerful positions. Could yeah. you imagine? I know that I know that at some point Diane Abbott was Shadow Home Secretary, mm. but could you imagine a Labour? I can't imagine a Labour government giving you know Chancellor or um, Home Secretary one of the big ones, one of the big positions to someone who's black and brown. Because I've not seen it. I've not seen him do it. Well, yeah, and <laughs> the point is they've had a chance and they talk about, you know, even like regionalism in this country, they talk about moving certain treasury offices to, to York and everyone goes, well, it's just symbolic. We go, but it's also, yeah, it is symbolic, but it's also symbolism that the Labour Party could have done and probably should have done. And and they should and they should have done it, yeah. Um, just, I remember a few years ago when Momentum were really kind of throwing their weight around, they were deselecting kind of like... Um, Councillors, uh, or they were doing, they were using some kind of mechanism to get rid of councillors and replace them with like white guys. <laughs> you know, and these are like, you know, they were replacing like black and brown, uh, I think, women councillors and other councillors as well. And I just like, I just sort of think, okay, if I'm not saying that if you're if you're a minority or if you're and or a woman that you shouldn't face these kind of issues, but it was kind of nuts that it was always <laughs> they were just clearing so the, the Were they deselecting them but, because the white candidate was more momentum friendly? Ideally, precisely, precisely, yeah. yeah, precisely. So it was it was more about kind of it was more like socialist gender uh but but if you're if you care about diversity and you know what you what you might call like the marketplace of ideas and stuff like that like you should really care about being winning elections so rather than saying this person believes in what, what we believe we should say well who is most likely to win an election in that in that area and if they're already councillors <laughs> working you can probably say that they're more likely to win the election um so the, the left has a real problem in acknowledging its its flaws and how it can be inhospitable to um, people who aren't white, but also how the left wing isn't a natural space for people who aren't white. We most most of us who are whether we're first, second, or third generation immigrants have roots in, from right wing countries and right wing ideas. In fact, I'll just say this because it's really important. Do you remember when there was? Do you remember Grime for Corbyn? 
Do you remember yes. when? Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, for those who don't remember, lots of grime artists who were yeah. really uh, significant and influential came out for Corbyn. I remember watching one interview with Jeremy Corbyn with JME, who's like a grime artist. And Jeremy was talking about his life story and he was talking about how his parents always worked really hard and about how he started businesses and about how he got educated and about how he was entrepreneurial. And his brother is Skepta, who's a grime artist. And basically, they're all self made people, all yeah. made that start, um, from the, started from the bottom, all independent or were independent for a very long time, built up their own audiences, um, printed their own records, you know, yeah. pressed their own records, went out, sold them out. Everything Jeremy was saying to Jeremy Corbyn was right-wing politically. politically. Yeah. Like, everything he was saying about his life and his upbringing and uh, the, um, the messages he got from his parents and his work ethic right-wing ideas and i thought it's just this is how far we've come we've we've departed from understanding political lexicon jme is talking to jeremy corbyn about how he got to where he was using right-wing principles getting people to vote for a socialist so what we can say here is first of all people don't understand politics but also fundamentally most of us probably aren't 100 percent committed to the hill we park ourselves on it's always an imperfect fit Often for that period of grind for Corbyn, I, I thought I'd love to have seen some of those boys, right, after they banked a few quid. This was 2017. A lot of those boys got seriously big in the next three years. I'd just love to see how for Corbyn they were once they had to pay capital gains tax. Yeah. Listen, most of the, most rappers, okay, all across the world are capitalists. That's why yeah. they become rappers. They want to become rich and famous. So it's, um, incidentally, going back to the race conversation, when it was um, the, the most recent election uh, last year, what happened to Grind for Corbyn? Abandoned. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Ab- they, they, they didn't pick up the phone once to talk to these guys, you know. These people who helped that 2017 yeah. victory, they were like, if it wasn't for Grind for Corbyn and generally like the youth vote and stuff like that, I don't know if they were, if he would have had the election he, he had in 2017, which he still lost, by the way, but, you know, he still did remarkably oh, yeah, well. outperformed um, expectations significantly Mass- massively so and, and it was a, it was a, i guess a, a positive time for for left-wing people i was thinking about this the other day when you get like w- what we have is this scene that's become so big i mean you look at the amount of uk streams that are now hip-hop or grime um we've got big stars now these these are you know icons of british popular music I, they're going to be like one day the Elton John generation. I cannot <laughs> wait, right, for when Stormzy, when Dave, all these guys, I, because what will happen as well is like you say, they do get probably a little bit more economically right wing, but they will be like the grand dames of the British music scene. And I'm so excited about how that is going to play out, you know, when, when Stormzy's <laughs> a tax exile in the Caymans or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. I mean, you know, it's, to be fair, Stormzy's the only guy who's been really publicly th- philanthropical with this yes. stuff and he started booking prints and he's committed to give away half of his wealth and stuff like that. But no one else has ever said anything about being socialist. Fredo isn't running around starting up youth centres. No. <laughs> you know, <none> of, <laughs> most stackers aren't running around kind of giving, donating to the NHS probably. Like no one, no one ever said these guys weren't capitalists. You know, yeah, and you know, as we know, and this is not true, obviously, of all hip hop artists, but it's certainly the genre is associated with kind of like material ex- extravagance. You know, it's like you know, in the same way that the rock scene was in the eighties, it was about you know, sort of uh, demonstrating your wealth to a point. I know now we've got more conscious rappers, but again, my just my natural cynicism always makes me think is because we work in this game, though, Athena. We know the difference between artists who present as left wing and who live as left wing. There is quite. There's often quite a difference between those two things. There is. And I think there's, it's going back to what I said before, it's kind of like you can be theoretically left wing, but economically right wing. So you can really want the world to be a more equal place and you can really care about equality and causes and important things. And you can care about the oceans, you know, Mm. you can care about all these kind of things, but you still want to be a millionaire. You know, and this is, I want to be rich enough to, that I can, (laughs) I can care. That's what I think is incredible. It would be great to have the privilege to be so rich. I want to be rich enough that I think socialism is a good idea. That's exactly how rich I want to be. It's frustrating for me personally because I think that, as generally speaking, if we talk about the left as a concept, it's won so many battles over the past. Mm decades you know maternity care look at we do have free if I, if I get run over by a bus i have i will have the same level of care as if you know anyone else who is different to me gets run over by a bus whether they're richer poorer or whatever um you know you can set you you can you can have a child and send them to a school and you will not have to pay a penny and the school will be okay you know <laughs> hopefully it'll be okay you can it's just you get sick pay 
so what's happened now is kind of like it's forgetting how far it's how far society's mm. come i guess particularly in this country and it's kind of losing its way a little bit because it's like where's the what's the next battle okay mm. well the next battle is going to be on twitter there is a degree to this country is a lot more left-wing than people think if you as you say you've got we've got a national education system we've got a national healthcare system we've got a national curriculum we've got a state broadcaster the levels of taxation are really high maybe like Britain is sort of left-wing by stealth and and it possibly gives the electorate a chance to go well it is already quite left-wing so I can afford to vote for the other lot yeah I mean I I wouldn't say it's left-wing by stealth I think we're invested this we like we like yeah. this i think we like paying our 30 oh yeah the british public no doubt like the closest thing to a religion in this country it, and and as it should be i'm telling you right now i've, I've you know again my privileges because of where i come from i've got family all over the world and whenever i talk to them i've always been grateful to to live in the uk for these amenities that we have the the things that my family members have to go through have had to go through whether they're in ghana guyana or in america where some of my family is we don't have to do that in the uk so the weather's terrible but there are certain things yeah. we don't have you know the weather's awful but there are certain things that we don't have to have to, we'd have to worry about here because we have this kind of welfare state that we've invested in and it was a concept that we believed in in the 40s and 50s and we've continued to invest in it and we and we take it and we take it for granted so socialists i think when they say they want a socialist country don't realize we kind of have a very a decent to a certain level a functioning socialist society even if we're mm. even it's just there's room for people to not be socialists within it um, and that was really what I think where Corbyn's message didn't really translate in the last election because he kept saying we want a drastic change and people were like we don't really want a drastic change we just want someone to fill in that pothole Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Athena. I think you managed, you, like, what you, like we talked at the beginning about differences between being a mum and a dad, the way that you wrangled your son there as you were talking to me. I can't even explain like the things that you were able to do while still, uh, you know, maintaining uh, comic discourse at the same time. It's a shame I can't do this on stage. I'm going to miss real life gigs coming back because yeah. I, I tend to have him when I'm performing as well. And when I'm on stage, I'm going to be sort of, breastfeeding him like my hands will just be there because i'm just gonna miss holding him so i I, I just i don't i've seen i said only i've been gigging like 17 years i've seen twice female comics have brought their babies on stage it's the most incredible thing like both or every time the gigs have gone really well because you're just it's just this this magical thing that you're beholding and again i often think about if that was a bloke right like the audience would have to continually point out that their baby had crawled off stage. That's basically <laughs> that's what happened. He go, mate, mate, your baby, mate, your baby, your oh, mate, your baby. It's behind you. Oh right, yeah, the baby. Yeah, <laughs> it turned into some weird panto. But uh, listen, yeah. I, I direct everybody to uh, your show, Cancel Culture, which is on BBC Sounds. I think there's still one more episode to come out. Um, yes. And is there other stuff like your social media, other stuff I should be directing? Yeah, to? I'm just on my name. My name's so just, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, um, just with my name. Yeah. I should, if you can't find me, you won't find me funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> got to put so, the in. Yeah, um, I, I'm on, I have a podcast too, um, but you know, you'll find it all. If you find me on Twitter and Instagram, you'll find everything you need to know. Do the work. Okay, Athena Kablenu, thanks so much for being on What Most People Think. My pleasure. Thank you. So there it was, the chat there with Athena Kablenu. And I thank her so much for coming on the podcast and just, as we were saying there, just dealing with a child. I mean, it's almost like an insult to say effortlessly. I can't fucking, how ironic was that? I couldn't even say effortlessly. Effortlessly. Jesus Christ, but uh, yeah, no, she's brilliant. Do check her out. Uh, just a, a, a great, a f- properly funny comic and a very interesting political thinker that the left could do with listening to people like Athena more. So obviously, knowing the modern left, that is exactly not what they're going to fucking do. But uh, she's a brilliant comic. So do check out that and check out the show. Okay, we just got one letter this week. Okay, so we spoke last week about not knowing people that had done were on the YouGov panels. And I got this uh, from Ian. He said, Jeff, I often hear you on social media and people on social media complaining they never asked for their opinions on YouGov. Uh, so, so to be asked... By YouGov, you need to be on their panel of responders, which anybody can sign up for. I'm fairly certain most of the people who complain about never being asked their opinion by YouGov are not on their panel. Well, that's interesting, though, isn't it? Straight away, 
that means that you're probably going to be more online and tech savvy to do it, I guess. I guess people aren't like fucking posting this stuff in, which may make it skew more left wing, liberal left, right? That's more their thing, isn't it? The online world. The more surveys you do, the greater the chance of being invited to do more. So you're sort of rewarded for being very keen to share your opinion. So that in a way that narrows the objectivity of the focus group a little bit, doesn't it? That you're the, you, it's not it's not a focus group of people. It's a focus group of people that want to be focused on. Uh, each survey contributes to a number of points, and after a ridiculously high number of points, you get 50 quid. Classic fucking thing. I bet you any money when you first get into it, they'll have examples of people. I became a millionaire of just giving my shitty opinions to you. Go. Not saying your opinions are shitty, Ian. They might be. I don't know. Uh, he said, I tend to get a, a 50 quid every 18 months. This is the price you go are paying for constantly pumping out their shit stirring that has set this country against each other worse than Brexit. Um, and there's a he, say, he says there's a satisfaction to be gained from contributing to a survey and then seeing it making the headlines. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess there's an incentive there. Um, YouGov is a good way of making your opinion count for something, um, whether it's government policy or what chocolate bars the supermarkets stock. I like this. Ian's being very honest about it. I just want to have fucking influence, Jeff, you know? And becoming an MP all seemed like a bit of a ball ache. So what I do is I just, yeah, why, why bother going into politics when you could just be on the YouGov panel? Evidently, that's what government are basing most of their decisions on. So he says, I see being on YouGov surveys as doing my bit to fight the woke brigade. OK, so you're there for balance. But I suppose the question is, is, is how many other people are there like that? But maybe this is partly why I'm saying it, is it would benefit us all if social media had a more accurate view of what Britain was thinking so get yourself on the YouGov panel. Do you know what I mean? Make your voice count. So when they ask, you know, do, do <laughs> well, you know, the old, these measures don't go far enough, you could maybe be one of the people going, these measures uh, probably go really fucking far. So that is pretty much the end of the show. We just got a few more patrons to welcome here. These are the, what most people pay tier. Andy McSmith. Shut up, mate. Don't try and make me Andy McSmith. McSmith. What is that? Is that some sort of some sort of Anglo-Scottish fusion name? McSmith. Is that a name? Am, am I am I the only one that's surprised that there's a name McSmith? Is that that just sound like basically one of your ancestors was an English invader years ago, went up there, and then they, when it all settled down and they were starting to look at reparations for what happened, you go, ah, oh, my name is uh, like with a really bad Scottish accent. You. Isn't your name Smith, laddie? Hey, no, my name is not Smith. It's McSmith, which is really Scottish. Um, then the next name, it just says Meat Berry. M-E-E-T Berry. Meat Berry. Meat Berry. Is your first name Berry? That does sound like a first name. No, I don't think I've ever heard it uses that. Or Meat Berry. Is it like Meat God? Just sort of something really disgusting. Oh, can I say it? Meatberry, it just sounds like another way of losing your virginity. Yeah, she lost her meatberry. Oh, my God. Am I even going to leave that in? Oh, there's an innuendo. Now I have to leave it in. Andy Lawrence. Andy Lawrence, finally, uh, thankfully, a very solid sort of name. There. You just sound like a, a regional manager for dolphin bathrooms. <laughs> um, so we're going to read out the reviews as ever. If you are kind enough to leave me... Five-star review on iTunes. I'll read it out. The uh, the reviews that you leave me anywhere help. It's just I don't fucking know how to access them. Please keep doing it. If you can't afford the Patreon or tour or anything else, then, then that's something you could do uh, to help me out. Um, this is from Indies Good. While I, whilst I can just about put up with inviting Owen Jones on, I just don't get why he's so bitter about the protein shakes. Apart from that, a few laughs. Oh, I took the piss out of protein uh, protein shakes with Matt Marnie. Were you, did you feel offended there? If you look, are you trying to get bigger? All you boys out there with your protein shakes, I want to be bigger. Sorry, God didn't want you to be bigger. <laughs> uh, the People's Champion. This is from More R2B. Finally, to the legions of normal, possibly a bit right-leaning, maybe Brexit supporting, but who knew? Compassionate and caring people who chose not to spray their opinions on every topic over the internet, but just get on with it. There comes a champion. Well, I really appreciate that. I Basically, my whole project comedically... It's a, there's a way that I see the world and I think other people do too. 
crazy, right? Uh, this is from Zapu, a comedian who says how it is. If Jeff was an insurance policy, he would be proudly third-party fire and theft. I don't... Is that, is that the most, like, subtle bitch lap I've ever had? I don't even... Is that good? Look, you give me a five-star review and you've said it's good work. Third-party fire and theft. Okay. Uh, this is from Neanderthalhead. Love the mock, mock adverts you do, Jeff. In fact, if you do one a week, I'll increase my Patreon from £3 to £5 a month. I can't say better than that. Okay, you've given me an idea for one that we could do here. Okay, ready? Bing bong. Are you ever stuck for words? I am. I'm Jeff Norcott, and despite my job, I sometimes reach into my brain for the words, and there's just none there. But luckily, the good people at AppWeld have developed a new app called I Can't Say Better Than That. That's right. You just type in all your words and hold your phone up to your fucking forehead like a weirdo, and it will phrase what... I mean, <laughs> this falls apart. I can't. It will word what you needed to word the way you want to word it. I can't say better than that. Bing bong. There you go. Off the top of me fucking head, that one. Uh, this is from Mike Duncan. Hang about. It's from someone I know. Uh, Mike, uh, Jeff, I lived with Matt Marnie in High Wycombe back in the late 1990s. And you used to visit for a session. I very much did, very often. Because I was at a liberal arts college where nobody got wasted. Fucking rubbish. Uh, listening to you two chatting on last week's podcast took me right back. If you remember, you used to take the piss out of me for being from Bedford. I did. I did because I was very South London at that point. I basically, called, I think I might call him a farmer or something like that. Um, so kind of ironic that you now live up the road. Okay, Mike, you get the last laugh. Very good. Anyway, it's good to see you haven't changed and you're still taking the piss out of pretty much everyone. I gave Matt a five-star rating, so thought you deserve one too. I always listen to your podcast when I'm supposed to be working. Keep them coming. Well, there you go. This is this is amazing thing, bringing people back together um i <laughs> yeah yeah i do take the piss out of people i remember when i first started working at a school in bedfordshire i just called all the kids farmers i used to say to them you always just seem like farmers to me and they're like no we're not stop calling us farmers i just fucked my sister Thank you.